As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome into a very, very special edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin. I have Paul Nader Jr. here, and Jay Morrison is with me of The Athletic, but we have ex- we have expanded horizons because it's just a special day. And uh, we like to do this. I think, I think this should definitely become an annual thing. We did it this time last year. Of course, things were a touch different, but uh, where we go back and, 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 and look at a game of the past – and just kind of dive into all of the interesting aspects, the fallout from it, the mustaches, the starter jackets, the bad signs hanging from the stadium. There's so much you can do looking back at the old games, and that's why we have uh, – today we're jumping into December 4th, 1997, so take yourself back to that point in time. Get yourself mentally back into that space. Uh, it was the day that Corey Dillon broke the rookie – rushing record with 246 yards on the ground in a 41-14 victory by the Bengals over the Titans at Synergy Field, not Synergy Stadium. Uh, So to discuss that, and four of us that got together and all watched that game again so that we can discuss it and discuss everything going on in that era, Jay Morrison, Mo Egger is with us. Mo, how are we doing? Great. Annually, we talk about a Bengals-Oilers game. Yeah, <laughs> and I I think that should be it. It just becomes all Bengals Oilers. There's plenty to go through that are memorable. There are, yes. We haven't even gotten yes. into sixty one to seven yet. No, we haven't gotten to some of the the heart of like Glanville versus Weish. I know we need like, to do that. Yeah. Uh, but really, as in, in all truth, I was trying to get some more background on this game, and so I called Jeff Hobson. Because I was like, I'm trying to remember a few things, and you know what? If Bengal something happened with the Bengals, Jeff was there. Uh, and so I called Butch and as we got to talk and I said, all right, this is enough. You just need to come on. Like we should just, you should just come on the episode. And so here you are, Butch, what's up? Very kind of you to have me on. Thank you. I, I, I feel like I'm at uh, badging into a house patty. I apologize. I'm, <laughs> I'm furious. That Bo, I'm furious that Bogats was an MVP, but other than that, I'm all right. Well, look. <laughs> You're barging into a house party, but you're holding all kinds of goodies for us uh, to take in. You're not stealing, you're giving. And so I, I, there is so much information because there's so much well, Jay background was- Bengals 90s junk, junk that was a part of this game, too. Uh, that's so fascinating. You were you were covering the team for the Inquirer back then, right? Yeah, well, actually, actually, I was at that point. I was uh, I had covered them for a couple of years, and then I was uh, doing sports GA. So I was kind of backing up both both Reds and Bengals. And Chris Half was the beat guy then. And uh, basically, that night I had to tell guys, no, I I didn't cover Jim Brown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they just yep. thought since I was at Syracuse, I must have been there with Brown. But, no. Yeah. 
I'm Jay, just I'm gonna Jay, quickly Jay was there too. Jay was there too, and he's probably he's a little bit more uh you know, he's he's got a little less wear on the wear on the brain. He may have sharper images. Yeah, that was my first full season covering the team, and I wasn't a, a traditional beat guy. I went down on Wednesdays and would do a feature and then I would cover the game. And, and what I remember about that year, Butch, is a couple weeks before that game, you were a GA guy, but you broke the story of the year. You the, the day that they were going to announce Boomer was going to take over as the starter. You had the story in the morning before in the paper before they even had announced it. I don't know if Boomer called you or how you got that story, but I remember driving down to Spinney that day going, man, how did he get that story? That was back when, you know, you could sit on it and, you know, if you, you know, when you opened the door and leaned down to get your paper, oh, ooh, ooh, you know, you found something mm-hmm. out that maybe you didn't know. And uh, boy, that's different, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Well, so all four of us were at this game, you two covering it. <laughs> Mo and I were, were at the game in the stands. I I was 17 uh, with my, my buddy Mike Pugh and my dad. And Mo, you were there as a freshman at Dayton, right? You, you came down I was a Dayton? junior. I was a junior at Dayton. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I, re- I remember uh, two things very specifically about that night. Number one, I was 20 years old. It was the only time in my life I ever went to caddies uh, before the game. (laughs) I remember that vividly. And I was supposed to take a girl to this game. This is the first year my dad and I had season tickets. This, he couldn't go to this game. I, I, he, I don't know what he was doing, but he he couldn't go. And this is in the era where the games are all blacked out. This game was not aired locally. So it's interesting to me to find out how many Bengals fans have actually seen this broadcast but I, I, I had to find a last-minute replacement. I went with my buddy Nick Schmall, who is not a Bengals fan, and I just remember him complaining about the cold the entire night. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, this was, I was there. I was sitting in the, in the red seats as I did. This was the, the most sparsely attended game. It doesn't sound like it if you, if you watch it. It sounds like mm-hmm. you know there's 60,000 people there, but this was the most sparsely attended game of the entire 97 season, and the upper deck was mostly empty. Except for I, de- I definitely remember being up there because it yes. was the, the wind was whipping through the upper yeah. deck that night. <laughs> it yeah, was, it was not one. But it, it's funny you say that, and I think it's a good place to start here before we get into a few different pieces of the game. And that was it was loud. There was an energy. I mean, this is. Yeah. I mean, you are in core '90s bad, right? Like you, they're they're they're, they're scuffling. They started the year one and seven. And, you know, they but they found something a couple weeks prior when they switched to Boomer and Corey Dillon came in as a, as a rookie and finally started playing. And you can hear that like you can hear the excitement when you watch this game. And, and people, if you want to go back and rewatch this, pause this, pause this podcast and go rewatch it. Now we'll have the, the YouTube clip is, is going to be embedded here in the uh in the show notes, uh, so you can go go watch it there or see that on Twitter. But I, I that's kind of part of what struck me was like, man, this is like this is a loud, really engaged crowd. Yeah, it stands out on the TV broadcast. I I, I remember it being loud and and you know crazy that night for those of us who were there. But even like watching in the second half, I, I kind of said to myself, like the audio guy, because I'm a nerd, the audio guy mixed this poorly because I I, I can't hear Theismann's uh, analysis, which which may have been a blessing. I, I don't know, but I, <laughs> um, it, because the crowd was so loud and that place, uh, Riverfront Stadium slash Synergy Field, when it when they were good, when they were doing well, it really could, I think, hold sound pretty well. It didn't happen often enough, at least when I was going to games, but yeah, if you watch it, the, the audio really, really pops. It really sounds like a huge, loud, vibrant. If you didn't know the team's record, you would think that was a team beelining towards the postseason just based on the way the crowd sounded in the background. Did it not sound that way live? Because I, when you're in the press box, and you guys know this now, but it, at the time it was just – it's. It's almost like a mayonnaise jar where you're, it's just, you're so sealed off and you, you can't really get a full appreciation, and I didn't remember it being that loud because that that really struck me too on the broadcast just it it did it felt like a playoff game and I didn't really see until later they showed some wide shots because cameras back then it's kind of dark in the upper deck and you couldn't really tell how sparsely populated it was but when you guys are sitting in the stands did it did it feel energetic did it feel like a playoff game um 
here's what energized the crowd that I can recall. So the week before they had gotten just torched by the Eagles, uh, 44 to 42, they gave up a, I gave up a field goal in the last seconds of the game. They took a lead. The the defense was awful. Somebody brought a LeBeau must go banner and (laughs) it was, it's the most forcibly removed I've ever seen a banner taken away from a stadium. (laughs) And that fired people. I remember that vividly. It it like it, it it sent a, a, just a jolt of energy through the people that I was sitting by um, because somebody had their banner taken away. And there are shots of the game where you see it looks like a, a like a WWF thing where people are all holding up these random signs. Like yeah. I don't think you see much of that anymore. But yeah, I, I I remember. I also remember they 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 showed on the on the old pixelated scoreboard. They did show a couple of times like how many yards Corey had in relation to Jim Brown. And I guess in an effort to maybe get people to stick around, I don't know. But yeah, I, I remember that night being. Um, as as kind of that era of 95, 96, 97, they always played well at the end of the year. And there was always like a, a jolt of energy thrown uh, through the crowd in those late season games. I remember it being pretty loud. Um, but I, I rem- again, I remember the Lobo must go sign being taken <laughs> away. And that's sort of like igniting the crowd and, and, uh, and it just sort of lasting the entire night. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to run down the game real quick, and, and then I, I want to jump right into two, really two big things that come that came out of this that are interesting, and then we'll get into some of the more specifics as we go through some of the the, the more uh, granular topics about watching this. So Bengals go up twenty eight nothing at half. I mean, th- this was a Titans team that had, was the third ranked run defense uh, in the NFL entering the game. Uh, very similarly to when Corey goes off for 278, Denver with a top run defense as well. It's an odd thing that this wasn't taking advantage of some some group of schmoes coming in. They were in the playoff hunt, as Mike Patrick and Joe Theismann remind us often, uh, <laughs> and, and really needed this game to even stick around. And so they had everything to play for. They apparently had played a very important game on Thanksgiving against Dallas. Corey goes... 39 for 246, four touchdowns. He catches two balls for 30 yards. Uh, I mean, he was it was it was over at halftime. It was 38 to nothing after three quarters. Boomer is awesome. Boomer's awesome. I mean, he's just he's awesome. He goes he goes 20 to 28 for 245 with a touchdown. He throws to eight different receivers. He's making every call at the line. Boomer is incredible in this game. Darnay Scott is great. He even has a great catch taken away from him right before halftime that would have been sort of uh, an exclamation point to his game. He goes six for 83. He drops a touchdown that he should have had. The Bengals had 114 points in the three games combined between this and the previous two. They end up finishing four and one that year to go seven and nine, all on the move to Boomer. And my first, what? let me start with you, Butch. When you rewatch this, what is the first thing that stands out to you? What what was the first thing that the main takeaway for you watching it again? Boomer's command. Yeah. I think I did a stat once. Uh, Boomer's stats with Bruce Coslett. His passer rating was something like 93. And his passer rating with everybody else was like 68. Just how the offense fit him. And just the command. I remember... Um, after that game, Paul Alexander saying it was the most difficult, the offensive line coach said it was the most difficult uh, game plan of the year. 
and Boomer, and they had two days to prepare. And he said, only Boomer could have done that. And, you know, that's, that's classic Boomer. He was not a, I mean, he had some great throws in that game, but I went back, I looked at his MVP season after you guys got me going on this and what he was 20 and 28 that night, right? In 1988, his MVP season, he only had 20 completions twice. He only had he only had twenty eight he only passed twenty eight or more times in that MVP season four times. <laughs> he was a orchestrator of that no huddle play action. I mean, basically, the way I remember it, Blaine Bishop was their big stud, their big the Titans' big stud, and uh, I think basically wherever Bishop was, Boomer at the one now was more, more complicated than that, but Boomer basically ran away from Blaine Bishop all. But it was just, you know, when you remember Boomer, I mean, yeah, he had some big passes in that game, but he was an orchestrator, play action. I mean, I remember doing a thing on Will, uh, talking to Willie about Boomer. And in that season, he uh, he fired up that guy so much. I mean, he said there was one game where James, James Hunden missed the hot and uh, missed the hot read. And Boomer went into the opposing huddle and grabbed the safety. And I can't remember who the safety was. He goes, hey, Hunden's the hot guy. Hunden's the hot guy. <laughs> and Willie said, and Willie said that, and Willie said, Hunden never missed a, another hot the rest of the year. <laughs> so all that stuff kind of came flying back. It's just, it's just what a great leader and, you know, motivator. How about you, Jay? Yeah. Well, uh, before I get to mine, I want to go back to something and ask Butch if he remembers this because it was it was the week before they lost that forty four forty two game, and it's one it, I remember this vividly, and I still have the tape somewhere because they used to have a little tape recorder, and it was either the day after that game or the the Tuesday where they're getting ready for the Oilers game, and Boomer makes a crack about how the defense should feel guilty about pa- cashing their paychecks after that game after the forty four to forty two loss. So Chick Ludwig, who preceded me at the Dayton Daily News, where we're talking to Steve Tovar, and I don't know if you were there at the time, Butch, but Chick says, uh, uh, Steve, do you think you should feel guilty about cashing your paycheck this week? And Steve just looks at him and says, fuck you. <laughs> and Chick, it just blew Chick back. He had no, he had no retort. He had no, but you, I mean... <laughs> you you wonder how much of that game because they really did they came out and it's not like the Titans had an awesome or the Oilers had a great offense but that that defense there's one point where Dick LeBeau's looking up at the the scoreboard shaking his head and smiling and saying I can't believe this because they just <laughs> all those three and outs and they kept blowing them out but you mentioned Blaine Bishop and if you go it's either the first or second carry it might have been Corey's first carry he lowers the shoulder and just runs over Blaine Bishop. And that, that kind of knowing what was going to happen in that game as I was rewatching is like, wow, there's there's that tone setter right off the bat. And then the, the other yeah. thing that really stood out to me at the end of the first half, Boomer throws a pass and to Darnay Scott down the sideline and replay shows that he, he caught it. And there was no replay at the time. They, there was like a, I guess, replay stopped in 91 or 92 and they didn't resume it till 99. And if if they get that, and they score a touchdown there, and it's thirty-five nothing at halftime. Does Corey Dillon even play in the second half yeah. because he had he had that sprained toe that they showed they're working at him, working on him on the bench? And I wonder if if he even sets that record if if they call that play correctly. You know, before I, the uh, before oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Paul. Go ahead, go ahead, Butch. No, I was just going to say before the Bengals played the Titans this year, and it looked like it was going to be Mixon versus Derrick Henry. Uh, it didn't happen because Joe got hurt. But uh, I talked to Eddie George before that game. Because, you know, that was George versus Dillon. I think if you mm-hmm. remember coming in, because mm-hmm. uh, we, were, we were probably talking to Tova about going against Eddie George, yeah. I would imagine, uh, 48 hours after Bobby Hoying had carved up that. <laughs> and, but Eddie George said, he, he really said he was good. Eddie George was good. He's been down the head coach at um, in uh, uh, at Tennessee State, right? Tennessee State, yeah. yeah. And uh, with Hugh Jackson, and he'll do a great job there. And uh, Eddie, Eddie said, Eddie told me, he said, uh, Corey Dillon. And he always said, Corey Dillon. He never, he never said Corey or Dillon. He, boom. And uh, he said he ran with bad intentions. <laughs> and, that's exa- and, that, and that's exactly what you're talking about, Jay, about yeah. how they were, uh, I mean, you know, guys, guys did not want to, uh, guys didn't want to tackle him. And right there on that play, it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So the interesting thing that comes of this, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna start because we've talked a little bit about Corey and Boomer. It, it this to me this is the start of the legend of Corey, right? I mean this is this is this, this run that he puts together is fantastic, and I and I want us to I want to break down the 1997 Rookie of the Year race later, which you know everybody's really waiting for that discussion. But like <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's interesting. Corey, it's important to remember, Corey does not really play this season until like week nine, till they're totally yeah. out of it. Kajana plays, which probably explains why he gets booze relentlessly <laughs> throughout this game every time he steps on the field. I may have contributed to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even have to carry the ball. Just the moment Kajana runs out there, you can hear it early in the game. They're up 28 to nothing. They've done nothing but score touchdowns. Corey sprains his toe. Kajana comes out for one series, and he touches the ball, and the place rains booze. It's just like – but Corey takes over and has an epic run to close this season. He finishes the year with – 1,129 yards and 10 touchdowns in half a season, basically. I mean, that's the remarkable aspect of this. He ends up losing the rookie of the year race to Warwick Dunn, who has ends up the year when you really break it all down, very, very similar numbers, except Warwick Dunn was the 12th overall pick and did it over a full season with the Bucks. Nothing to the effect of what we saw at the end of the year. Why does Corey Dillon not play the first half of the season? Butch, you were there. Oh, I, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the great mysteries. I, you know, it's classic to me, it's classic old school, you know, the rookie's not going to play until he can pick up pass protection, which was, you know, which is, that's bull. Cause if anybody could get a guy ready to play a game is Jim Anderson, the running backs coach, you know, all his guys, when they went in a the game, they knew what to do. You know, I think a lot of it was Kajana was a top pick. I think they were trying to You're get still him. trying to make Kajana work. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm talking about the mindset. I mean, he got benched the previous year to Garrison Hurst. I mean, look, don't, hey, don't, it's one of those things. Don't look at me. I did a Dylan. <laughs> Come on, there. Butch. I mean, Play I did him. a Dylan. I did a sidebar off the inner squad scrimmage. So it was clear. It was clear he was that good. And if you had taught the coaches and teammates during the first half of the year, there was a lot of head shaking. Like, why isn't this guy in there? So, yeah, I mean, why, you know, there was never really a, you know, there was never really an answer. Over the first three games of that year, Corey Dillon had more kickoff returns than carries. <laughs> Think about that for the way the season ended. He had more kickoff returns than carries on offense. The first two games, he didn't touch the ball on offense and they had him returning some kicks. Which, you know, if you look yeah. back at this season, if they just have the thought that maybe Jeff Blake and Kajana Carter aren't the answer earlier, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about them actually like having a winning record, breaking some of that spell of the 90s. Who knows how much it changes things? And it's it's amazing how long Bruce Coslett hangs on to that idea. Yeah. Through a, seven, a whole seven-game losing streak. Look, when he came, and Jay will remember this, Bowman came off the bench in Indy when Blake got a concussion. And won that game, and Bruce went back to Blake for Pittsburgh. Yeah, <laughs> and they and they lost twenty to three. Yep. And I They're, and I remember being on the field because back then, Jay, remember they let you on the field in the uh, with two minutes left in the game. Right. Press could actually go on the field to go into the locker room, and I remember going onto the field after the game and trying to get something from Boom, and he was he was pissed. He just walked away. So the, 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 this line is actually uttered in this game by, I believe, Mike Patrick. "Quote: They feel Jeff Blake has a remarkable future for this <laughs> <Yeah>. club." <laughs> I literally wrote. That. I wrote that down. I was like, "That needs to be." I mean, that's a wrote, that is remarkable that that was still the thought process. In Blake's defense, okay. In in Blake's defense, um, he never had. He never really had Corey Dillon. I mean. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The way the way Boomer had him. Now, obviously, big difference between Boomer and Blake. I get it, but I also think Blake's a little, you know, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, it didn't happen for Blake, and maybe it could have because, you know, there was really. I mean, after he got benched in '97, he never really had a. I mean, I guess you know they made him the starter in '99, but that was, you know, I mean, that was kind of. 
you know, they knew Achilles was going to play. So that was kind of cursory. So I don't, you know, I'll defend Blake probably more than most. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 you know, I, to me, it's amazing that Dylan could be, you know, you could, Dylan could be on the shelf after the kind of training camp he had. I, I, I just, and I, I, you know, it's, it's uh, probably wouldn't have, you know, definitely wouldn't have happened now with the way the rookie, you know, with the way the rookie pool is and all that. Can you imagine that? I mean, you know, if you try to project that to now, it never would have happened. He would have been, yeah. he probably would have been the starter from the get go, no matter where, you know, no matter where Kajana was drafted. You end up with the next year, Neil O'Donnell gets signed in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Boomer retires after the year to go into the Monday Night Football booth. And, I mean, this is really the story of the end of this season. Is This is as much, and you can hear it in the broadcast, this is as much momentum, energy, excitement, real like something to build on that this team had had the entire decade. And... I would because I liked that picking this game to go look at for this reason. So many times when we look at this era and people get sad thinking about this era, there's two things that there's a few things that define it, right? It's it's Klingler, it's Blake Mania was exciting, and the Achilles problem that happened and how everything was kind of focused around that. This is the one moment that always kind of gets overlooked that maybe was the most critical juncture. Bringing, bringing Boomer back could have changed everything. Boomer not going to the Monday Night Football booth and giving it one more year to try to build on on this insane run of offense that they had. Maybe Achille doesn't get drafted. Maybe they actually win some games. I mean, when you consider the cast they would have had, they draft Spikes and Simmons in the first round the next year to really help change over their defense. They could have had a real offense. I mean, that instead, they end up in that five-year run of quarterback hell until Marvin comes. And it's like, you know, how much things could have been different. And I don't know that we've ever really flushed out how this decision really went down. And granted, it's so long ago now, and we're almost coming up on 25 years, that it's kind of remarkable when you look back at that, that Boomer opted for the booth. And I know that's just a wild thing to think of. Especially because they have that interview, that sit down with him that they show in the in the game uh, where he's talking about how special it is that his his son Gunner now is to an age where he can see what he does and, and appreciate it. And I don't remember. I mean, Butch, maybe you remember this. What was the situation in '98? Did did he just say he was retiring no matter what, or did the Bengals lowball him with an offer and he said, "Ah, forget it. I can make more in the booth." I mean, did they make a serious run at keeping him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They made a run at him, but I think Mike, uh, you know. Like I was telling Paulie yesterday, Monday Night Football is a hell of a lot different now than it was then. I mean, that that back then that was iconic. That mm. was like going on a Today Show, or 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 I mean, it was huge. Um, and I think both Mike, I think both Mike and Boomer realized that. And I and I think Mike, if you talk to Mike, Mike thought it was it was in the long run for Boomer's life. That was the move. Now Mike wanted him back. And I'm not sure what the numbers were. I think he, you know, I'm I'm not sure he ever lowballed Boomer, because hmm. uh, you know, I mean, uh, back in '87 or whatever it is, they made him the richest guy in football. So I'm not sure how much money was a factor and how much, um, you know. I also knew that uh, not only did they have this thing on the table, but Boomer would tell you. I think, it, you know, he, he didn't know if he could play 16 games. He didn't even know if he could fit it when he was doing, when he was out there playing. He didn't, he claimed, he says he didn't know if he could have, you know, played 16 games, never mind 32. If it was, a, you know, I think they offered him a two year deal. And, uh, you know, I don't know. He looked pretty good to me. <laughs> but, you know, it looked like he could, it looked like he might be able to keep going. But I don't know what was going through, you know, you know, I could see there were a lot of different things going, you know, going on besides, you know, the money thing, there was the lure of Monday night football. And it was, you know, the thing, Hey, Boomer could do this for the next 20 years. He's going to be Gifford. He's going to be, he's going to be a combination of Dandy Don. And, 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 you know, they didn't know that he was not going to be able to get along with Michaels and be gone in two years. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you say if, if, if they knew that, if Mike and Boomer knew that, you know, <laughs> things would have been different, you know, and it's uh, but you would never see a guy 
given the way the money is now, you would never see a guy out for the booth now. It just wouldn't yeah. just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Boomer Esiason is one of my two or three all-time favorite athletes. If you were 11 years old in 1988, um, I mean, he was your guy. And so at the time, probably like most Bengals fans, I was very definitively team Boomer, right? As it was very easy to be. But with with the benefit of of hindsight and knowing how infrequently the the perfect ending gets authored, I'm glad this is how it worked out. Um because I would not have that, that team in 98 was terrible uh, and they had Neil O'Donnell and they won a couple of games early. The, the fake spike game was against Pittsburgh early that season, but they, they went three and 13. They were terrible. I think the last thing I would have liked would have been to see a, a guy who is responsible for my interest in pro football, um, getting benched, getting hurt, um, playing on a bad team and playing poorly. The way this ended was perfect. I mean, how think of, of of the quarterbacks the Bengals have had. The Carson thing ended poorly. The Dalton thing peters out. Uh, Jeff Blake peters out. Uh, Boomer Esiason had a triumphant ending, a triumphant ending, and, and yet it occurred under this cloud of, well, you know, Boomer versus the Bengals, picking the booth versus coming back, you know, did they lowball him and all that. But those five games that he he played where they go four and one, starting with, you know, him coming off the bench at the uh, at the Hoosier Dome against uh, against the Colts and playing so well down the stretch. That was awesome. I'm not sure that could have been duplicated. I don't you're know. Right, now, right. You're right. You know, you're right, Mo, because Boomer was Ted Williams. Home, yeah. run, his, home run in his last time at bat. Number yeah. seven. His, his last pass is a 77 yard. Number and, and, seven to Scott. Yeah, and you, and you talk about him not being sure he could play 16 games. I think it had been years since he had played a full season. Um, his time with the Jets kind of petered out. His last team there, he was awful. He was sniping with reporters. The the Arizona game, he had that one great game where he threw for like over 500 yards or something. Nobody remembers him as a Cardinal. He comes back to Cincinnati and had a triumphant ending. Um I don't I don't know that it really could have ended any better for him in Cincinnati. They weren't going to win a Super Bowl. They weren't going to win a championship. Those teams were awful. I, I would not have wanted to watch him at 37, 38 years old, playing behind a bad offensive line, throwing the ball to malcontent Carl Pickens and getting booed. I wouldn't have wanted that. So I at the time, yes, I wanted Boomer back. But with the way it ended, knowing how infrequently it ends well, it was perfect. And that's how I choose to remember it. And you end up with, you know, you hear it in this game. The whole stadium chanting his name, you know, yeah. and it's like it's like it's '88 all over again. After, you know, he leaves in '92, four years with the Jets, a year in Arizona. I mean, and here he is before he leaves. Everyone chanting his name and him carving up a defense uh, at age 36 to sort of c- cement his legacy and make people remember everything that he was in his prime. And you know, and Boomer with a great running game. Uh, was just it was it was a fun combo. It was a fun moment. I think you're right. At the time, you want it to be longer, uh, but it's 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 hard not to appreciate that. How many players right now would say, "Man, they wish they could have had one more run with the team they were best at, even for a few games, and then just call it a career." That's that's way better than the the one day signing press conference. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it, it really yeah. did work out well. But I mean, Mo's right. I mean, has it ever happened before? Like yeah. that. I mean, it might never. Have, I mean, I love AJ Green, but I'm not sure he's going to have. You know, I don't. I'm not sure he could come back to Cincinnati and have five games like Boomer had. Right. I, I would like to see AJ back in a Bengals uniform in some way. You know, but it wouldn't end like that. I mean, that's a that's a, you know, most right. That's a, that's a moment in time. I, you know, that that it's a once in a it's once maybe forever. Um. Let's let's go down. A, uh, I want to go down a, a few topics here, and and then we'll get into Corey's Hall of Fame case, Butch, um, which is an interesting one. Of course, you're 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 a voter there, and, and we we're we're very closely involved in, in kind of tracking that kind of stuff. He's he's sort of fallen into the background as we've you know rightly or unrightly you know focus on the senior committee, who's very close to maybe getting Ken Riley and Kenny Anderson in, and you know you're talking about Willie Anderson now amongst the finalists, Corey. Has not been in that room yet, and so I, a lot of the the focus has sort of been on on those guys right now. Corey's case is really interesting, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. I want to start just going through a few topics, 
And uh, can we let's have a little fun here? Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, uniforms and, and appearances in this game. I, I just it's one of my favorite things about doing this, and not because you, you, any at any point in time you can look back twenty years and laugh. But you know what I love? I look back twenty years and see the same Jeff Fisher mustache that I just saw like <laughs> like three weeks ago. I mean, I this guy this guy is just like I have an image, I have a look that I like. And it's not going to move, and it's going to the mustache is going to come in and out of being cool, and he's just going to be right there the whole time. He got undressed. He got undressed in a playoff run for a game for the playoffs. He got undressed and then coached for the next three hundred and eight years, <laughs> <laughs> and went eight and eight in most of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he never looked like he was. I mean, it, it was almost like he was resigned to the fact that they were going to get their butts kicked that night. I mean, you you never saw him show any real emotion on the sideline that's what really kind of stood out to me he just kind of he, he seems fairly stoic the the entire game you saw there were times where dick lebeau was yelling at tim crumry there were times when um bruce coslett was yelling at hunden for missing that hot read that but you, ne- you never saw that kind of fire emotion from fisher on their sideline it was just like the the, it, the game got out of hand so fast kind of like that the game we did last year, that playoff game in 1990, which also was a 41 to 14 game. It was just like he's kind of resigned to the fate early on. And one of the weirder chapters in NFL history where they had been the Houston Oilers. They still are the Oilers. They still have that helmet with the oil rig on it. <laughs> They're not yet in Nashville. They're yeah. playing at the Liberty Bowl. Um, that was like my first experience that and the Browns moving a couple of years prior was like my first experience with watching a franchise move. And, uh, you know, I remember Jeff, Jeff Fisher getting a lot of credit for those teams during that time still remaining, you know, remotely competitive, uh, despite the fact they were transient. Uh, I remember reading a story um, about how th- 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 he had to go to a bar to watch a television cut of it might have been the Bengals to see how they were coming out of the huddle because their <laughs> facilities that weren't necessarily what they needed to be because of the move. It, it really is one of the weirder chapters. And, and I. You know, I mean, you think of what was a great rivalry, the Bengals and Oilers in the late 80s and and early 90s, and it kind of petered out largely just because of the move and they're no longer in the division. And so I thought often watching this, and and it's it's interesting, they really don't, Theismann and Patrick really don't talk about that. Uh, They don't talk about how, yeah, this team is is kind of stuck in Memphis. They're not playing at their home stadium. They're going to go to Nashville. They've been in Tennessee. Nobody goes to the games. Memphis people, you know, really don't take ownership of the club. it, it reminded me of what was, as a fan at least, a really weird chapter in, in the history of the league. I always enjoy in these games when you get the panning through the stands and the <laughs> shots of the and to see I saw the same the Bengals starter jacket from that era was super <laughs> solid. Yeah. Uh and I believe Mike still wears it to every cold <laughs> practice. <laughs> but it's that that starter jacket that goes half and it has the like the like waving bangles stripes through the middle of it. I saw that a number of times. Jay, you thought you saw Mo in I, the stands. I, I'm still not convinced it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> I have well, a screen grab. I'll put it on Twitter. I did like I did when you sent it to me, I'm like I, I could have been that. That could be me. <laughs> but uh, as I said to you, there's no way in hell my seats were that good to have the, the cameras <laughs> access me all that much. It, it is interesting watching this game. And, you know, Thursday night football on a weekly basis wasn't a thing. This was like a special. It was like a special sort of uh, post-Thanksgiving Thursday night football game. And now, like, primetime games are such a showcase for the city they're in. And whenever Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football is here, they do a really good job of sort of showing off the city. There's none of that. You get the random, like, all right, we stuck the camera by the Mike Fink over there in Covington, and we'll get some shots of the Cincinnati skyline, and uh, that's it. There's, like, there's nothing of, hey, here's a town that you could do stuff. It's There's no showcase of the city, of the stadium. It's very much focused simply on the football game itself. And it's not that way in primetime games now, whether it's Thursday, Sunday, or Monday. Now it's it's very much a large-scale production. Heck, it was a quarter and a half before I, I knew that Ron Jaworski was the third guy. Like mm-hmm. there's there's just there's no mention of there's you know, and obviously the, the YouTube clip that we watched is they cut all the commercials and stuff. So, but there's it, it doesn't feel like a big time primetime production. And that, to me, was the most noticeable difference. Aside from just the way the game was shot back then versus now, 
a primetime game. That was a big, big scale production. It's usually a commercial for the city that they're doing the game from. All of that was absent from yeah. this particular broadcast. There is Something. a there's Something. a camera in Davu Park. There is, and yes, that's, that's right. there pretty much. They had one guy. They like, we got one guy who's <laughs> yeah. in charge of establishing shots, and we're just gonna put a camera in Davu Park, and we're gonna keep cutting to it over and over again. All right, let's just take a quick break. Something that struck me too, I think it's got something to do probably with our culture, is uh, the lack of outrage with like the officials made some bad calls, right? Yeah. No, no instant replay, some brutal, brutal calls, but there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a, uh, uh, there wasn't a hue and cry. And you know what I mean? They people, you know, the announcers more today, the announcers would have, you know, just killed them. And they moved on past that. And, and even the fans seemed to move. Yeah, there were some scattered boos, but there wasn't the, you know, the torches weren't out like there would be today. And it's also, too, like um, and maybe I'm still fresh from the All-Star game where, you know, <laughs> hitters are hugging pitchers. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, what would Bob Gibson have said about that, by the way? Uh, when Guerrero <laughs> went to hug Scherzer, what would Bob Gibson have said about that? And also the last play of the game. McNair tries to throw a pass and gets blown up. Oh my! Yep. Did you? I, that is, <laughs> that's, unbelievable. that's unbelievable. They're yeah, down, you can see hug. the Oilers players being mad at that call. They're trying to run like some form of hail mary with yeah. like five seconds down forty-one to fourteen, and he does. He gets absolutely destroyed. And then right near the end of the game, Dylan gets pushed into the Oiler bench, and like they ignore him and they push him away. <laughs> now there would have been. Now they would have had. You know, they would have hugged them. Yeah. I think. You know what I mean? It's just, and I'm not saying it's bad today. I'm not trying to be the old guy in the lawn. It's just different. Maybe today's better. It's just different. That's all. That's those are the. That's kind of stuff that struck me. I I did appreciate you know the the, the Darnay Scott uh, catch that was ruled incomplete at the end of the first half. They showed two replay angles, and we just move on. And like yeah. the crowd boos mm -hmm. a little bit because you could tell that maybe they showed it on the the video board, but. We all just moved on. There wasn't like, you know, five minutes of, well, let's look at this from every angle, maybe still get the call wrong, and then we're going to lose our minds about officiating. There's one time where there's a, a roughing the kicker against Tennessee where Joe Theismann's like, another bad call, and Mike Patrick just is like, all right, first and 10. I mean, it yeah. just – yeah. And, and I kind of appreciated it. Like, it was like, all right, the officiating sucks. It's part of the game. What's next? The, the fact – no, no conversation is made. It's just totally normal that like, oh yeah, that, that ref like hurt his hamstrings. So that's why there was no one there to watch that play. And that's why they missed the Darnay Scott call. I'm like, Today would be like, we need to have oh, 10 yeah. backup refs Backups. that are at every game in, in every contingency. Where it's just like, oh yeah, we're missing a ref back there. So that's kind of why we missed that call. Exactly right. Exactly right. There would have been, I mean, Twitter would have been a flame. It's wild. You know, especially on a primetime game, you know? I mean, but that's just, Corey, not only he abused players, he abused officials. I mean, he couldn't keep up with them. <laughs> couldn't keep up with them. <laughs> couldn't keep up with them. Uh, I want to, uh, let's flip forward here to, we didn't have any commercials in this game. Usually I really enjoy the commercials you get to see, but there were, there were a few, I just want to point out, I, I thought Holiday Inn had one of the best ad campaigns going on in 1997, and that is, <laughs> we're making every Holiday Inn as good as the best Holiday Inn. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, they really that's a great way of saying nothing like that <laughs> what is the best holiday in at that point in time you know and as i i really appreciated that campaign they had running there were no television commercials but the the two things that stood out to me is they read a promo for the college football alliance oh, special yeah which is when they would announce who was going to be in what bowl games and there is no mention of national championship there is no mention of who's going to be number one. It's just, yeah, tune in Sunday at four opposite NFL games. <laughs> tune in Sunday at four and find out who's going to be in the Rose Bowl. Uh, I mean, it's it, the college that's pre BCS, the college football alliance. And I have a soft spot in my heart for the 2858 after dunna, yeah. dunna, dunna, when the ticker would pop yeah. up. Like I, I kind of like perked up. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, now it's it's there all the time, you know, any, any television network, there's the ticker, there's the scores, there's all the information and it just, it popped up. There's like four NBA scores, a couple of hockey games, turn on sports center after the game, go to NFL.com for more. And that's it. Yeah, I appreciated it, that. 
It, it not only go to NFL. It said go to NFL.com, the league's official internet site. <laughs> it was like it was like this brand new Specify. thing. HTTP They they did. There was no commercials, but one thing that struck me when they did the the uh, starting lineups when they showed the players and where they were at, they had Mastercard logo up there as like a, a sponsor for the starting lineups and. That's that's one thing that's gone the other way. Normally, you see more advertising creeping in everywhere. NBA guys have it on their chest now in these games, and that's gone away. It went the op- complete opposite way now when they show the the starting lineups. There's no ads there, and that that one really kind of stuck out to me that they were doing that back then. And you, you can't fit anything in the graphics. I mean, they have no. so many gra- you have so many graphics. Yeah, and you know, and, and you know, God love it if you can read them. You know, did you notice the the the, the graphic that they had, they put up longest NFL playoff droughts and yes. it was, it was a list and the Bengals were fifth in 1997. <laughs> in they were already fifth and that was 24 years ago. Oh man. Uh, I, I want to go into what would have gone viral real quick. <laughs> and it was one of my favorite parts of this game. The moment he stepped on the field, I was like, I got a big smile on my face. Reggie Roby. Yeah. How great Reggie Roby was as a punter. And his fake punt the fake. move would have absolutely been replayed a million times. Oh, yeah. Like the fake end around and off goes 252 pound punter Reggie Roby for the first town. Just fantastic. Loved Reggie Roby. Rest in peace. Reggie yeah. Roby and Doesn't Bruce look. Matthews carried the ball. Not only in the same game, on the same series. Yeah. Because right before that fake punt, McNair got sacked, fumbled, and Bruce Matthews, the Hall of Famer, picks it up and like tries to dive over the pile and he didn't get any yards, so he never he never got credit for a rush. But I was like, What what are the odds that you would see Reggie Rob- Roby and Bruce Matthews carrying the ball on the same series? I don't know. You know, you guys are probably gonna get to the analytics thing, probably, but you know what? That game came down to the offensive line. And it's the same deal. It's still until they play seven on seven or they play with flags until they do that. It's going to be all about the line play, the offensive line. And that was, you can take all the analytics you want. Yeah. That game was, you know, just like the opener, the opener this year with Minnesota against the Mike Zimmer defense, you know, it's going to decide that game. How the Bengals offensive line plays. Just like that game was decided by the Bengals offensive line. I mean, they were just it, – it, it's when we talked earlier on about the first thing you remember. I remember – I actually was texting with my my buddy Mike I went to the game with, and I was like, anything you remember? And he was like, we just remember talking about how Eddie George had seven yards mm-hmm. and – their offensive line was just destroying the Titans every single snap. It was so stunning. I mean, it was you're talking about the be kind of a beginning of a Willie legacy a little bit here in this game. Yeah. I I mean, and that's important. And the all what I I came away with a little bit of an underrated appreciation. Like, man, we really underrate these days what Richie Bram was. Like he was really good in this game too. And obviously, he ends up with a very him and Willie are there together for. A decade. Can you imagine yeah, I, Blackman and can you imagine Blackman and Willie had played next to each other for ten years? Right. But so Blackman had the back injury. Mm-hmm. I jotted down Willie Anderson Dark Ages because he is a player that I think a lot of really casual fans probably identify almost solely with 0506. You know, franchise turnaround, good offensive lines. He was here for a lot of those really really dark years. You know, and. It, you know, toiling pretty anonymously, you know, quite frankly, I mean, even in this game, um, he slides down and, and opens up a hole for, for Corey Dillon and Joe, Joe Theismann says something to the effect of, you know, this guy this year, they've, they've moved him around a little bit, but this guy this year, very quietly is having an an excellent season. And and you, I, I was thinking, because we've, we've talked a lot about in recent months, Bengals who have hall of fame, um, Canada season. Obviously, we'll talk about Corey Dillon here. Willie Anderson is a part of that conversation. And you just, you do really wonder had he been on teams that were just decent for all those years. I mean, he, at the back end of his career, he was, but for years, he was toiling very anonymously on some awful clubs and playing, you know, as I recall quite well, including on this night. And I just, it, it there were, there were two visuals that kind of took me aback. One was, Ken Anderson calling plays for Boomer Esiason, or I guess Ken Anderson being the offensive coordinator for a, a team Boomer Esiason was on. And the other was Willie Anderson playing in 1997 because you just, 
it just sort of feels like for a lot of people, Willie Anderson just showed up in 2003 when he had been with the team forever. And uh, that, that stood out to me, but, but Butch is right. This game was about the offensive line, which was just mauling people. I mean, I, you know, Derek Brills, like haven't thought of that dude in, in years. They are just push as great as Dylan was just running people over that offensive line that night was, was spectacular, but it was, it was fun to watch a, a young Willie Anderson. And it did remind me that he had as, as great as he was, he, he was, he was doing yeoman's work for some teams that weren't very good. Did you see on that one? Did you see on that one? I was just saying Mike Patrick and Joe Theismann didn't even really, they mentioned a couple plays here and there, but they didn't really bring in the fact how great a job the O-line did till the end when they were all congratulating Corey after he broke the record. It was almost like an afterthought. And at one point, Joe Theismann called him Richie Brom. Like he called him by the wrong name even. It was just, they they were kind of, oversights in that game and I, I one thing that stood out to well two things about Willie in that game Corey had the long touchdown run and Willie was down there to congratulate him very shortly after he crossed the goal line he's like how'd he get down there that fast and there was one point when the route was on it was it was well into the route and Willie missed a block and Corey got hit at the line of scrimmage I don't know if it was a loss or a no gain and Willie just lets out an audible f-bomb that the, the parabolic I caught and it's like you're you're destroying these guys all night long you miss one block and he's he's pissed at himself for it all right this discussion has been so good that we have to rip it off into two parts like we we're not gonna shove this all into once we're splitting it up into two episodes uh and the big aspect of tomorrow's episode is is one that deserves it deserves a lot of focus, and that is Corey Dillon's Hall of Fame candidacy and what this game uh, had as far as affecting that and and some of the reasons why he's not really part of the conversation. It's it's, it's all great, but I uh, hope everyone is enjoying this episode so far, and we'll have the, the second half of this uh, uh, will be posted soon. So hope everyone has enjoyed it, and uh, we'll be on to the next one.